As followers of Jesus in the midst of another polarizing election season, we don't have the choice to walk away from our responsibility to change broken policies that are breaking our neighbors or to end relationships with our family and friends who might think differently than we do. That's why this season of the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast is exploring how we are to engage politics as citizens of the kingdom of God and the United States. It's going to be hard and messy, but it's holy work, and we're here for it all. Thanks for joining us for Peace in Politics, becoming everyday peacemakers in and outside of the voting booth. So, John, who do we have on this? Hi, who do we have on the show today? You know, we're getting close to home today, Oshida. My my pop, as I call him, Doug Huckins. Oh my gosh. So, okay, your dad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I appreciate so much about this conversation and what I hope that our listeners um, get as they are listening to your dad um, is just the a rich perspective of um, of your dad's life and story um, because I yeah I just appreciate it so much how Jesus um, was at the center of so many of your dad's decisions mm-hmm. and like convictions and um, and it was just so helpful for me like mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, in, in preaching class, sometimes they teach us like in the first couple of minutes, maybe like the first few seconds when you get up there to say like, today we're going to be in whatever passage because yeah. like, you know, it like gets people kind of settled in to be like, okay, like for those for whom like, is, is are they going to be preaching the Bible? Like, that, yep. you know, yep. um, and so as somebody who has, who is a peacemaker because of my devotion to Jesus, I was just so grateful um that so much of your dad's story was his like wholehearted and genuine mm-hmm. uh, search for jesus and discipleship yeah. to jesus yeah i loved that um so tell me how so after, how do, how are you feeling how are you feeling by introducing your pop to the audience i mean there's a level of i mean just the idea of talking about peace and politics with anyone can be hard but for those of us sitting here like to do it with your family members. And as you'll hear in this conversation, my dad and I have not always seen eye to eye on faith and politics, especially based on my upbringing and where the evolution uh, and evolve, like the expanding of my faith. And so there's a level of fear and trembling. There's a level of gratitude and, um, and joy. Uh, but I think more than anything, because of the, the, the hard work we've done for so long, there is a spirit of, um, hey friends, listen in, like yeah. listen into um, the the generation ahead of us. Share about their experience and how that intersects with our generation, and how we navigate some of that stuff together, and still pursue Jesus and and do it in a way. You talk at the end of the episode about creating environments of trust and love, even in among difference and disagreement. Yeah. And I feel that with my dad, I, I a deep trust and love. Um, so I'm, I'm leaning on that right now. Yeah. Well, as I send our audience in to go listen in, I will tell you that I am married to a very um, passionate Enneagram 8 who loves to sit and have deep, fiery discussions about all things, including politics. Um, and, I, and those are some conversations I don't super love listening in on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the conversation that we're going to listen to is one of two deeply intelligent 
passionate men um, that was so challenging and important for me to listen in on. And it was, it was such an honor. Like you talk in the, in the conversation about elders and eldership mm-hmm. and um, your dad is an elder that mm-hmm. we are so lucky to learn from. So everyone meet John's dad. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for listening to this season of our uh, of our podcast, Focus on Peace and Politics. It's been quite a ride, and I am really, really excited to introduce you all to my dad, who I often call Pop, and I probably will throughout this conversation. Doug Huckins, uh, welcome, Dad, to the podcast. Oh, I'm really excited to be here, son. Thanks for asking me. You betcha. This is a... Um, I have been part of the global immersion work for 11 years and this is the first time we've been able to do something like this together you've participated in a bunch of our different trainings immersion trips at the border and webinars and workshops um but it's especially fun to actually be in conversation with you about this so um for for those of you listening in here here's what we you know one dad i want to personally thank you for the willingness to jump in on this um and, and the courage of it, because I know that's not, you don't usually spend most of your day hours on podcasts. And so thanks for trusting this space, trusting me and, um, and all of you listening in who have, you know, you're going to be listening to this episode on election day, I believe, is when this is going to come out. And you have family mm-hmm. and friends who you love um, like crazy. And, and all of us are trying to enter the polls with our kingdom convictions and also enter into our relationships with our convictions and generosity and a desire to grow them. And so my dad and I decided to say, okay, let's, let's get on in a conversation and talk about how we've navigated some of these topics around politics and our, our, our common commitment to each other um, for four decades, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and I will say as one last bit of an intro here before dad, I go to you that um, as I have grown into adulthood and into a profession that has me talking about hard polarizing stuff from a Christian perspective. Um, I have experienced you as someone who's continually leaning in and getting curious. And I've never once questioned your love for me, even when we haven't seen eye to eye on things. And so that's, that's my starting point. We were just saying everyone listening in before we started that my dad and I are, are looking forward to this because we actually believe and trust our relationship. And um, so it's, it's not as threatening as maybe some of you feel going into these conversations and, and we empathize with where you are. And we also want to, to host and model a conversation that's constructive um, and thoughtful as we go. So with all that being said, um, dad, maybe you could share, just open by sharing a bit about who you are, uh, some of your upbringing and, you know, raised in a military family and you have a lifetime in military service and law enforcement, but also how that intersects with becoming a Christian a bit later in your life or when it began to really take root. So take us away. Give us a little intro to, into who you are. <clears throat> okay. Well, thanks. Son. I, uh, actually, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, and I think I've told you this before, that 
when I was a kid, I lived with the phrase children are to be seen and not heard. Mm. So that didn't foster much in the way of open communication around the house or an ability to talk about difficult subjects. Or if you were mad, you just sucked it up and moved on. And so, you know, I've done TV interviews and online, you know, radio interviews and online podcasts and stuff professionally. Yeah. To go to this level at a personal gut level with my son is a whole different experience. And it's something that is really neat to be free, I think, to do in Christ. The commonality Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. as Christ followers allows me to feel comfortable in this venue that is not something I was raised in. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, you know, it's, it's a freeing kind of feeling. That's uh, so yeah, good. I was I was raised a you know a military brat, uh, born in Germany. My dad was on in the army after during and after World War II, and and that's my older sister and I were born over there. Um, so I do have you know a military history. We actually I was realizing just the other day, even culturally, um, four hundred years next month, our family has been on these shores. Mm. what became the united states yeah Uh, 16 1623 our family came to what is new hampshire Mm -hmm. and so we have an investment as a family traditionally culturally in watching this country from the very bottom grow to where it is today yeah a lot of wonderful people in our family as pastors as chaplains as workers um Mm just faithful, actually a lot of selfless servants. I think mm. there's, there's been a few scumbugs too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that. I'm know, sure every all, fam yeah. has a bunch of those. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, so I didn't always see things modeled, but I've learned as I've gone back to see where God used different people faithfully in our family and our country's history to serve him. And that's mm. given me hope and encouragement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was, uh, I enlisted in the Coast Guard when I was 17, uh, right out of high school, 1969, uh, during the peak of the Vietnam War. And, uh, you know, I wrestled with faith things. I think what I saw was going to church was affirmed culturally. It was just mm-hmm. kind of a common theme that people in the U.S. did at that time, 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah. And uh, so... It was the going to church aspect of things from my perspective that made you a Christian. Nothing about knowing Christ, becoming a Christ follower. I saw some of that. So, yeah, in the uh, soon as almost as soon as I was in the Coast Guard, one of my best friends committed suicide before he Mm. left for Vietnam. That Mm. really made me go on to, I think, the beginning of a faith journey. I uh, met a faithful Christ follower, a Navy chaplain who helped me through that time. Yep. And uh, ultimately, I became a Christ follower while I was in the Coast Guard. And that um, kind of set the groundwork. I was encouraged uh, there uh, as a new believer. I even saw, I would say I saw God work in uh, having my executive officer on the ship come to me for advice. Mm. about the crew and running the ship and how to do it better. And Mm -hmm. he knew I had become a Christ follower and uh, that blew me away because I was a young enlisted guy and he had been, you know, he was a commander. 
Yep. And um, one of my buddies on the ship's mother was murdered while we were out at sea and he got word. Mm. And, and I felt like God used me to come alongside him with compassion and pray over him. 50 years later, he still has the Bible that I gave him. And uh, <laughs> he lives in Missouri, but there's a common denominator that we have. Mm -hmm. um, so then I, you know, when uh, mom and I got married in 73, um, she had been part of my Coast Guard background. She, we were dating while I was in the Coast Guard. And yet, uh, I think because I became a Christ follower in the military, and because of my upbringing, I had a desire to still serve. Um, and I really wanted to be a different kind of a leader. I had mm. seen leadership gifts, I'd say, start to blossom. Yeah. And um, so I, when we went to Cal Poly, I got my commission through the ROTC and became an Army officer yeah. And in, in 1979. And people asked me, why would you do that? And I said, because I think... Uh, there's a, a lot of young people go in the military looking for something about life. They've never mm -hmm. been away from home. They're trying to find out, a, you know, learn a job, do something, develop skills, confidence. And I want them to have a different kind of a leader that they can go home and say to their, their families, Hey, I, my commander is a really different kind of a guy. And yeah, uh, I had a captain who led a Bible study in his, a company commander who, led a Bible study in the office that more of the Vietnam vets were comfortable going to than going to church because that was their, yeah. their affinity group. Yep. So I saw that affirmed. And uh, I, I think, you know, from there, it just felt like this was where God put me mm -hmm. and I had a heart for these people while I was on active and what, the rest of my 20 year career mm -hmm. as a reserve officer. Mm -hmm. and then in law enforcement, um, I, since I was a kid, I wanted to be a fishing game warden. You yep. know that. Yep. And uh, it was a dream that didn't come true till I was 32. And even there, um, God opened the doors for me to meet a local game warden in San Luis Obispo, uh, have a Bible study on Tuesday mornings at McDonald's with him. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, he became a Christ follower. Mom played for their wedding, he and his wife. And uh, once I was hired, I was asked to even go to our academy graduations as a member of the warden force, not a mm -hmm. pastor from outside the group, mm -hmm. but to pray for the wardens and their families as they started this new vocation. Yep. So right from the outset, there was no hiding the fact that I was a Christ follower. And Pop, and just for those listening in that have never heard what a game warden is, would you describe that in two sentences? Yeah, Um I was a law enforcement officer out in the woods and then on the water, on the ocean, uh, enforcing natural resource laws, you know, for the benefit of our environment. Awesome. Thank as well you. as a general peace officer anywhere it was needed, along with any other department. Yep. 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 That's good. And, and jumping into that, that into, the, into your story here, this is about when uh, you, you guys start having, having kids. I mean, you've already started having kids at this point and obviously I'm one of three of them. And so now you're, uh, you're raising a family, young parents, um, you're post active duty military in law enforcement, full-time still in the reserves military and deeply committed to your faith. And, and that was the faith that I inherited. That's what I experienced as a, a little guy. All my youngest memories are of being at church and part of that 
wider community multiple times a week. Um, and many sleepless nights uh, as you were out on patrol and uh, in spaces that were putting you in very vulnerable context. I mean, I know for a son, it was, uh, there were times I'd wake up in the morning and be really excited that you were back home. <laughs> um, and I'm certain that's true for, for my sisters and, and mom as well. But you were, that was just part of our life. Um, and it was also similar that, you know, you were, you were part of a family line that you married into with grandma, mom's mom, uh, that was super, uh, into politics. <laughs> and, uh, and so you're in law enforcement, you're still in reserve in the military, you're a follower of Jesus. You're part of a family that is very much, uh, part of a very specific version of politics, specifically partisan policy politics of the Republicans in the eighties and nineties. Um, so I'm curious, even as you tell the story, how, how are you beginning to interface with raising a young family, being in law enforcement and this orientation to politics? Um, well, I was raised, you know, I think I, would, I was raised in a conservative home politically, yep. uh, culturally, morally. Um, I, I think with politics as a kid, we didn't talk about it as far as Republicans versus Democrats or yeah. anything like that. I think because culturally as a nation, we had a kind of a shared willingness, desire to honor God, um, more, you know, moral convictions were important. Yep. And if people were acted in an immoral way, um, were rude and crude, uh, you just don't vote for them. You vote mm -hmm. for people who have higher standards. Mm. That was kind of the political Christian thing when I was, you know, that I remember as a kid. Yeah. Um, but with, with in, yeah, once I became a, a, a Christ follower, I was very interested in, you know, being transformed into mm. what Christ would look like in the workplace and on the school and on the military and all this yeah. and yeah. in the family. And I had nothing to fall back on. So, mm. um, I had what I called churchianity in my history. Yeah. And uh, so you know, coming into mom's family, uh, which was very strong, yeah. um, mixed their mixed faith and politics. Almost, yep. I don't know if I'd say the same thing, but it sure felt like that sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I, I struggled with that always like, mm -hmm. Okay. To the, to the point of how can you possibly be uh, if, how can you possibly be a Christian and then vote for that yeah or believe in that you know yeah, yeah. divisive yeah and uh, and sometimes those conversations seem to overwhelm the spiritual conversations became hmm. political and almost uh, you know you set the other people other people who thought differently than we did. Yeah. They didn't matter as much, you know, yeah. how they're first of all, they're not Christ followers. Secondly, politically, they're in a whole different ball game. Yep. Culturally, they they're despicable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hate to say that, but that's how it felt sometimes. Yeah, sure. But I think I, um, mom and I both were always a little uncomfortable with the way some of that went. We wanted mm -hmm. to have our own beliefs, our own faith, 
yeah. we wanted the best of scripture model. What does Jesus look like? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just, I think because of our long history in this country, mm -hmm. um, from the picture of Washington kneeling, praying at Valley Forge when his troops are starving and freezing, mm -hmm. you know, it just kind of fit God's plan for America. Never yeah. thought about much of the rest of the world. Yeah. But um, that, you know, we as a people had been God-centered or, or focused anyhow. Mm -hmm. And therefore, God had blessed us uh, as a country. Yeah. And if we got away from that, uh, we wouldn't find yeah. that blessing anymore. Right. So right. It, was a, it was a care for the whole country yeah. as well as personally, mm -hmm. but it didn't really carry out into action on the streets as much mm. sometimes. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Anything you wanted. No, that's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, that's really helpful. And I think a lot of people resonate with that story. I, I think most of the people probably listening in resonate with a similar narrative they inherited about, um, our nation's uh, participation with God in being good news in the world. And I think at its best, it can call us as a nation to live uh, out our best values. And it's worst, it can become this really idolatrous form of nationalism that where you really, like you're saying, don't know where one ends, <laughs> faith ends and politics begin or vice versa. Um, and I, you know, I'll say growing up, that was, that was very much that, you said at one point there was times where you weren't sure where Christian and politics are. are we more Christian or more political or almost become synonymous um, without having words for it. That was certainly how I experienced it. I feel like maybe, I don't know, comparison to my sisters, I was one of the more zealous um, followers of that ideology, especially because grandma was such a big influence in my life. I mean, I think of her as an amazing woman. I was telling a story the other day to friends that like, when grandma would come to town, she would always sleep in my bed. So I'd be on the floor next to her. <laughs> and uh, when she'd roll over at two in the morning and find that I'm awake, she'd ask if we could go play Racco or spades, you know, and I would, I would jump Absolutely. on it. She was like a, one of my best friends. And she was like one of the most politically vocal partisan humans I've ever known. And um, that didn't diminish how I felt love from her. But as I reflect on that, I'm like, holy smokes, that was some kind of expression of faith that obviously I don't adhere to anymore. And, uh, and that even as we're talking, I, I, I remember in childhood moments where you would poke on that narrative that our family inherited, um, maybe more than any other uncles and aunts or certainly grandma and like push back a little bit. Like, hey, are we actually thinking about this from a Christian way? Or are you just purely thinking of this from a partisan perspective? Um, and there was glimpses where I'm like, oh, maybe dad's not fully in line with this narrative, but there's something else there, um, that I think was really important. And honestly, I think it, it entered, it gave me a bit of a portal as I grew up, um, and became very, honestly, very angry and cynical towards the whole enterprise of Christians and politics. Cause I'd seen, like, I just, I've seen the underbelly of it, um, from like the Rush Limbaugh rhetoric to, every church having a flag next to it. And you're like, what do we worship God or country here? Um, and I wonder even like, as I'm and I think in that time of cynicism, it was not necessarily healthy, but I think it was necessary um, to where now, you know, 20 years later, after be asking some big questions, I feel like I'm constructing a faith beyond um, 
just a binary of that's all crap or I'm all in <laughs> to say, okay, as a follower of Jesus, my, my allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And I'm part of a nation state that happens to be a democracy, which is a, a pretty decent system. If you look at the global landscape to actually change broken systems for the sake of those on the margins. So um, I think I'm a lot more optimistic about democracy now than I've been in the past, even though we have all sorts of scars and it doesn't always work well. But I guess as a, as a dad and on a relational level, as I grew in my theological training and my convictions and even became more outspoken about this, and now I'm doing a PhD in political ethics and I lead an organization that talks about hard issues, uh, trying our best to talk about them from the way of Jesus as we understand it. Um, what was that like for you? I mean, what was it like for you to be a dad who no doubt, and we've said this, we have not always seen eye to eye and we still don't see eye to eye on every issue, but that isn't a... Uh, it doesn't preclude us from loving each other and growing deeper in our relationships. And I would say over the last 10 years, and we'll get to that in a minute. I think it's been amazing what we've been able to experience together, but what was that like being a dad to someone you love, who's bucking some of the family trends of how Christians engage with politics? I think there was a tension mm -hmm. and the tension was really related to, um, John's on a journey. Yeah. He's on his own. He's on his own journey with Jesus. Mom and I in 71, 72, we became our, we got on our own journey with Jesus. Yep. Um, which was just as much of a pushback to the families we were raised in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I was in, involved in what I called churchianity. I believed in, you know, apple pie mom america and i went mm -hmm. to church so therefore i was a christ follower yep that's what i told mom when we were starting to date she yep. called me up short and said i can't see you anymore because i've given my heart to christ and we don't we're not on the same sheet of music mm -hmm. and unless that changes we can't have this relationship mm -hmm. that shocked me into thinking about spiritual things hmm so we started our journey back then, 71, 72. Yeah. When I called home and told my mom, I was on a payphone. I don't know if you know what a payphone is in this day and age. <laughs> I was on a payphone and I called my parents and my mom answered the phone in Pennsylvania. And I said, I just gave my heart to Christ tonight. Hmm. And I was so excited because I literally opened my Bible, a King James, and I understood what I read for the first time in my life. My grandparents mm. had given me that Bible. It was in the bottom of my seed bag covered in toothpaste. <laughs> and it had been there for years. Okay. And I bailed it out. I cleaned it up and I started to read it. And I read, and somebody told me, go look in the gospel of John. So I started to read John. Yeah. And it started to make sense. And for the first time. Yeah. That was a spiritual awakening. I think the Holy Spirit allowed me to do that. Mm -hmm. My mother started crying, your grandma. Mm -hmm. And she said, but what about your membership in the Presbyterian church? Hmm. That was a wake up call for me. I yeah. thought she would be all excited about this new awakening in my life, my heart. Yeah. Yep. And instead it brought tears and that really confused mm -hmm. me. I didn't yeah. understand that. Yeah. So watching you go through your journey I understand. We, I think, Mom and I both understood that you were searching for something 
away from the politics, mm-hmm. something. Um, we were frustrated with the fact that we got, and we, this is our own doing. Mm-hmm. We were so involved in doing things at church, going to yeah. meetings, yeah. having dinners, going to choir, yeah. doing yeah. men's ministry and all that, that we drove past our neighbors for years. Yeah. Hmm. We knew them. We knew who they were. We thought they sure. were pretty awesome people. But it wasn't until I think you kind of stepped out and you, I remember you were reading that book, A New Kind of Christian, mm-hmm. and you were talking about the emerging church. Yeah. And you were talking about the red letter Christians and you were yep. studying all this stuff. What that did for mom and I was we started to read those books so we'd understand what your journey was about. Yeah. We started trying to understand what the journey was. Uh, I remember going online, reading about and going to Christianity Today and reading articles about the emerging church and about mm-hmm. red letter Christians. And because not to criticize, I just sure. wanted to learn. I yeah. wanted to know what it was uh, that needed to be changed up in the, your generation. Yeah. It was not attractive while we were coming through. Yeah. So I think that's what it was like, was we felt like, okay, we're going to go on this journey with you to gain insight and become informed about your world, not to judge you, but just to support and pray for you as God was doing his work in your heart. Yep. (laughs) Hey, uh, question. It does. uh, It kind of, it gives me chills thinking about it because that's what I experienced. I mean, we, we had our run-ins, but like, like I said earlier, I never questioned um, your love for me through all this, this journey. And, and for those of you listening in, like I've really been wrestling with what it means to become an elder in the last few years that, you know, we have this presupposition that elders, like someone that sits around a board room uh, that is it, you know, an old church or something like that. But an elder really is, is someone who, as they grow older, they become more confident in who they are as God's beloved and they can open their hands and trust that God isn't scared of our big questions or change. It's, it's saying faith is dynamic. It's not static. I don't think anyone agrees that faith should be static, that it just remains. That that's probably the opposite trajectory of someone who's continually growing in wholeness. And so as I hear you share that, I'm like, pop, this is what becoming an elder looks like. It's, it's a, I heard someone say the deeper the roots, the wider the branches as our roots become yeah. deeper in who we are as God's kids, we can open our, our arms to things. And I, like I have to say your generation, not everyone is doing what you did in that moment. Like I, I think a lot of my peers had parents that just dug in the heels at that point and said, see you later. A lot of my extended family members, as you know, uh, especially patriarchs did the same dig in the heels and they saw me changing and instead of getting curious like you did, use that as an opportunity to leverage shame and say they're disappointed how disappointed they are in me. And so I, I wanna like I wanna get curious with that around how what is it about you and mom and 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 how why why did you choose a path to eldership rather than digging in the heels to model a different way? And and maybe even where it's probably seven or eight years ago now, when you came down to the border with me here on one of our immersion trips. And said, not only do I want to learn what John does for his job, but I actually want to learn about those neighbors we've been driving by on the way to church. <laughs> and it seems like it really made a big impact. I've experienced it. All those around you have experienced it. And that might even shape how you've engaged politics or think about politics in a different way now. I don't know. 
so yeah, what do you, um, how and how are you having the open hands and how are some of these experiences beyond the culture you inherited continuing to expand you in your worldview? Well, I think when you were, while you were, you know, all three living here, you and Wendy and, and Heather, um, you know, right from the moment you were born, mom and I prayed over all three of you, each one of you. And you specifically, we prayed that you, God would raise you up to be a leader and a man of integrity who reflected Christ and whatever that path led. Mm-hmm. That was your path, not our path. Mm-hmm. I think we've always tried to not direct you into what we think you should do while at the same time recognizing the skills and gifts that God's given you and encouraging you in those. Mm. It's up to you to listen to however God's telling you to do that, right? Yeah. yeah. You have to live your life, not us. So I think, you know, right from the very beginning, mom and I committed our family to Christ, whatever that looked like. And we didn't know many years ago what that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, and it hasn't all been smooth sailing. There's been mm-hmm. rocky roads. We, we all yep. have been in that. Yep. Um, but I do know there was periods of time where we acted together as a family. For example, in law enforcement, I, I remember different times, but one in particular where I had been out on patrol on a very cold, wet February morning along a river. And I saw smoke coming up uh, from underneath a bridge. And I went closer, introduced myself. I'm in uniform, carrying my, you know, badge and gun Mm -hmm. by myself. And there's blankets hanging down. And there's two mothers and two little girls living under this highway bridge. And they had a little feeble little fire going. One of the moms had been bitten by a brown recluse and had a hole Mm. inside of a 50 cent piece in the Mm -hmm. calf of her leg. She had been walked to the local hospital, got stuff to treat it, but it was bitterly cold and they had food on the rafters underneath the highway. Yeah. Leftover baked goods that were still in cellophane that wrapped in that kind of stuff. And um, I remember coming home, telling you as a family, And what cost you guys was you and your sisters went through your closets and found socks and gloves and jackets Mm -hmm. and hats. And mom got food and scarves. And I went back in my patrol truck, found those people. And the joy of taking the box out of back of a patrol truck with a badge on the side of it uh, and being able to talk to them. I didn't speak Spanish. Yeah. They spoke very little English, but yeah. they understood and they were very gr- uh, gracious and appreciative. But to me, that was like our family coming alongside somebody, you know, as Christ followers to be compassionate and actually take action as a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that we talked about that. And there was different times like that over the years mm-hmm. where I think we, uh, we tried as best as we could to practice what we were preaching, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, trying to fight off the dogmas of our past, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's cost us um, some friendships. Mm-hmm. There's some friendships that have become tenuous over the years. After we went to Mexico with you, mm-hmm. and we lived in the dorm with the people from around the world 
Yeah. Uh, how wonderful that was for us. But to try to come back and translate that into do you even know or care what other people are going through mm. to our friends? And yeah. People we were close to, some of whom said, wow, thanks for teaching us. We need to learn more about that. And yeah. some others. Some others even recently said to me, um, and I said, boy, it'd be great to be together more often. And I was told that would be interesting. Hmm. We could be together on a friendship level one-on-one, but we kind of crossed some lines in yeah. I think our political <laughs> persuasion yeah. Yeah. has become more independent. We don't go either way. Yeah, it's, let's pray about who's the person that's up for the job, and yep. whoever's the best best person, and we have peace about it. We'll yep. vote yep. instead of dogmatic this or that. Sure, and that, that has cost us in some relational, yeah, value, relational currency, if you will. Yep. Others have accepted it. Yeah. Um, so I hope I didn't get off track, but that's no, and that's that's what's so. It's actually helpful to hear, and I hope those of you that are listening that might be in my dad's demographic are taking copious notes. Um, but also naming the, the cost because Dominic Gilliard, dad, he was one of the guests we had on earlier and, he, and we were talking about what change, how, how change could happen and, and how we can grow, not only how we gauge politics on a systemic level, but in relationship. And his argument was it needs to be your generation that's actually like cutting the wake with your peers and with my uncles and aunts. Like, they're not going to listen to me so much because the perception often is I'm the young crazy guy who's going on his own journey. So they may not listen to me, but you, but your peers will listen to you <laughs> because you come in with a level of experience and relational trust and authority. And so when you're saying similar things that I'm saying, um, they hear it in a different way. And, and I feel like you and mom, especially in the last five and 10 years have chosen to leverage your influence among your peers and among my uh, extended family here, our extended family, um, who personally, I've been honestly very hurt by in many ways. And you've said, uh, what's our responsibility to walk with this community on behalf of John and behalf of John's generation. And I cannot tell you how tangibly me, and I'll speak for my generation feels love from you when you do that. Um, I mean, you, you'll probably never forget the call when I'm calling you in tears because of how much pain I've carried from our extended family's posture towards me. And you didn't hide from it. You jumped in with me. You, you created space for to listen. And, and you went into hard conversations that I was not in a place to have because it was too triggering um, and too much too traumatic. And so, so those of you, again, in my dad's generation, um, there's, there's another way. And um, thanks for stumbling towards it. And dad, for, for my generation, I think it can be perceived, and especially as we go on our journey, we come with our past pain. We can get cynical. We also really are trying to do so, like those listening in are passionate about following Jesus and saying, okay, that, that evangelical thing in marriage of politics was unhealthy. What's the next thing? Like we're in for that. We don't want to just point backwards. We want to say, what's the thing? Because we want Jesus to inform how we show up in the world. What's your word to us? Like how, how do we build that thing without just pointing back at what all the stuff that was broken and being jerks about it. Although we need to name our history. I'm not saying we're absolving absolved from that, but what's your word to us? Like how, how, how might we move <coughs> together in the next five or 10 years? 
Well, one of the phrases that you have so well written in some of your books was listen longer than is comfortable. Yeah. And that's not something I was always really good at in my younger years. Um, I've been told I was stubborn, (laughs) you know, are you hearing what are you, are you you really hearing? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to hear and it goes in one ear and out the other, and it's another for it to stop and digest it and own it. And so listen longer than is comfortable Mm -hmm. to people that you may disagree with, or you may find out after you've talked for a while, you don't disagree as much as you think you did. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. Right. So I think there's just like, just like our generation may have a perception about generation Z or mm-hmm. millennials or whatever. Yeah. We need to stop and listen, mm. talk, learn about, ask why, what's the deal. Yeah. I think I would turn, turn it the other way too and ask uh, the people who are listening to this. Yeah. Look at our history. Mm-hmm. The, people from my generation, your grandparents, great grandparents. Mm -hmm. Let's look at our cultural history, our our history as a country, Mm -hmm. um, things that went on. Why are, why did they get that way? Where, where was the basis? Sure. Uh, One of the, one of the ones that I, I've I've thought of for years is that song, God bless America. And Mm -hmm. I know, I feel like, you know, your generation kind of writes that off like God just bless America and nobody else. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how I've felt sometimes. Yeah. And yet I know the history of that song mm-hmm. when it was written, 1918, mm-hmm. written, rewritten in 1938 as a prayer. It mm. was a prayer. And it was at a time very much like today when the storm clouds are gathering over Ukraine and Latvia and mm-hmm. Poland, and there's storm clouds and China and uh, Taiwan, and who knows when things are going to break loose. It seemed like they're getting worse instead of better. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the, the words of the song, God bless America, is just the chorus. Mm-hmm. While the storm clouds gather far across the sea, which they were, mm-hmm. uh, Nazism was taken over, country yeah. after country was being run overrun, yeah. people were losing their freedom. It was a prayer. Let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. It wasn't like, oh, we worship you, America. But we have we live in a free country. And America was very isolationist at that time. They did not want to get in a war like World War One. Sure. Again, they didn't want to be dragged back to the European continent. And so it was a prayer. The storm clouds are going on. Let's all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer god mm-hmm. bless america mm-hmm. and it was a prayer of don't let us go there we mm-hmm. don't want to get involved Pre- please keep us from that yeah uh, so there's a, there's always more to the story sure so i think for your generation to look at where we came from in the 60s the 70s yep actually study the politics what was going on yeah um, the cultural issues the the issues with integration, you know, yeah. segregation. Yeah. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of that where I grew up in Pennsylvania. Not that it didn't exist. Sure. We saw more integration. Yeah. Um, you know, in my area was was uh, 
what would they call them the the workers that came from Puerto Rico and from other central the mm -hmm. Caribbean area mm -hmm. and worked their way up to, to clear the fields, pick pick yeah. the fields on the yeah. eastern seaboard. Here we yeah. see the people from Mexico, whatever mm -hmm. coming up through different cultures. There's a lot of similarities, but I wasn't exposed to the uh, the Mexican population. I was exposed to the other populations. Mm -hmm. And but you know we lived in kind of a comfortable balance. But I know now that it was with blinders on. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that wasn't healthy. Mm. And like everybody had their place and this sure. is your place in society. If, yeah. And uh, once I grew up and I've looked mm. back at that, I'm going, oh, it was just the norm. It was accepted. That doesn't mean it needs to stay that way. That's right. I think that's where the pushback today is coming. Yeah. Culturally and politically. Yeah. Um, don't identify us and put us in a corner and say this is the color of our skin or our background and that's, therefore this is our limitations um, yeah and i understand people kicking back against that yeah. but yeah. Um, as a christ follower i see you know i've, I've worked with people from all kinds of backgrounds all my career law enforcement uh military never even gave a thought you know who I was in boot camp with, who I was doing work with, we all were equal. Yeah. We had equal opportunity. We could do whatever, and we helped each other for the yep. common good. So um, I never really personally experienced much of the ice of the stuff that fell apart, but it's good to go back and learn, and it's unnerving to read about yep. things that have been exposed from our past. While I was a kid, didn't even know about it and go, ooh. Totally. How can we do that as a country? Yeah. How could yeah. we do that as a culture? So it's it's learning and instead of hiding my head in the sand and saying, "Oh, we never were like that." Totally. And I think that's the that's the challenge. That's the, the, even the discipleship invitation is to say, "Okay, my experience has been this, and it seems this seems fine, and the status quo seems good, and I had relationships, and but as as you've heard uh, me and us talk about that that the road to peace, you know." We picture that as God's restore God's restorative vision for the world, or or relationships being rightly ordered. Yep. Sometimes that peace, like we have to disrupt the status quo, in order to move to that, because the status quo might not be good news for everyone, you know. And that's where, even those of you listening in, we could be in relationships that seem, oh, we're fine, we don't have big issues. But if we look at the big system, it's actually quite there's there's elements of it that are still very broken. That's oppressing many of our neighbors on the margins. And we have to disrupt that so that we can actually see holistic repair on a systems level and and on a relational level, because um, yep. it's easy to it's easy to be kind of lulled into complacency when we're comfortable uh, and we stay in our bubbles. And so, and, and we're we're almost out of time, Pop. But let me ask this: um, Family and friends now are moving towards Thanksgiving as they listen to this and Christmas and all this kind of stuff. Uh, what's the opportunity you would see as families and friends in this moment to sustain and even maybe build relationships beyond our partisan political tribes we often just kind of dig our heels in i think the opportunity is to look for people you can do life with that maybe you haven't done it with before mm. you know uh we invited margaret who our friend who came from uganda is a political refugee Mm -hmm. uh, seeking political asylum. She's, she calls us uncle Doug and aunt Sue. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And her little girl calls us that. And Mm -hmm. she's become part of our home Bible study group. And uh, it's been a a real insight for us to come alongside her, Mm -hmm. help her get a learn how to drive, get a driver's license, go to school and help see her blossom as she's trying to live a new life started left her whole family in Uganda her dad was killed by the government years ago um, for disagreeing and uh, to see life through somebody else's eyes yeah walk alongside somebody differently like you've done with uh, people mm-hmm. so well that's actually encouraged us to do what we do try to step out mm-hmm. and I think when we give thanks, we need to give thanks for the, the blessing of living where we do and having the opportunity to turn that into blessing for other people, mm-hmm. not just hold it to ourselves as something for us. Mm-hmm. But how can we, you know, come alongside other people? Because that's really where Christ is seen. I think rather than through national politics, Christ is seen through relation building. Yeah. And getting to know people that maybe you haven't before. Yeah. Um, and we can really celebrate and give thanks for who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us the power, the strength of the Holy Spirit to go out in faith and let God do his work mm-hmm. uh, with open hands and open yeah. hearts. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, man, uh, I think it, there is an opportunity too. I, I do think, um, the opportunity before us is is both personal and that we just become more whole in our pursuit of eldership, if you will, of becoming more generous uh, and grounded in our faith that allows us to be more generous and curious in our relationships. And um, I think there's an awareness that the opportunity might not, even as I think of family or friends who don't look or don't think the same way, that it doesn't mean we have to compromise who we are, but it doesn't mean we have to change their mind either. Cause it has to be mutual to some degree. Like there's just, I feel like if we go into every conversation thinking we're going to change their minds, then maybe it's more about us than about uh, anything else. Anyway. Um, I think there are times when we have to speak truth and trusting relationships, but that discernment I think requires absolutely community and it requires listening to the spirit and it requires the right context and environment. And so for those of you listening in too, as you go into those holiday spaces, David Gushy, who was on the podcast earlier, my PhD advisor said, we can go into those conversations when we feel spiritually prepared. Otherwise, um, they might just send us down paths of triggers and traumas that do more harm than good. Um, But we, as we've heard with my dad, when we have the grounding, we can live with tools to move into the hard conversations. And they might not always end with flowery relationships. And there is a cost to this path, but I think in Jesus, we see the costly way and that's what we're all invited to. So dad, thanks for having the conversation with me and, and uh, inviting us all in listening in to um, what it might mean to, to be in relationship beyond our, our partisan bowling bullet points and to model lifelong learning. And I think that's what you outlined for us so beautifully today. Right. Thanks son. I, I've loved every second of it. I wish it could go on a lot longer. <laughs> All right. It's always a joy to spend time with you, whether it's here on the on the podcast or down on your front porch or in our backyard. Indeed. Or out on the boat. Indeed. Hopefully we'll soon. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for what you've taught us.
Hello, Everyday Peacemaking Podcast listeners. There's two things with Global Immersion we wanted to let you know about. First, this podcast would not be happening if it wasn't for our Embers community. This is a collective of folks from all across the country and the world who give money every single month to help fund our everyday peacemaking resources like our monthly periodical called The Monthly Peace, our daily contemplative contemplative prayers, webinars, and this podcast. So uh, if you'd like to join this community of funders for five bucks a month or 500 bucks a month, we would be thrilled. You can follow the link in the show notes or go to our website, globalimmerse.org, to jump in on that. Second, we're about to open up applications for our 2023 leadership cohorts. Uh, These cohorts are designed for faith leaders who want to go on a journey of discovery in the intimate company of peers and trusted guides. We want to do the slow, hard work that leads to healing and renewed vision for who you are and I am and how we will collectively lead restoratively in the church of the future. These cohorts include in-person retreats, online learning, coaching, and immersive experiences. One, uh, the Journey of Hope cohort culminates in a trip to Northern Ireland to learn from uh, other peacemakers in that global context. And the other, uh, Journey Home, culminates with a pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago where we seek to confront the conflict within ourselves that inhibit our ability to lead towards equity and justice and peace. So space is very limited. Jump on it and you can get more information and apply in the show notes or go to globalimmerse.org leaders. Oh, John, like I adore your dad. (laughs) (laughs) I often describe my dad as a tender bear, you know, he's a big bear of a man. If you could see him. And he has I, one of the biggest hearts I've ever met. Oh, yeah. I I totally got that. I I appreciate it so much of that conversation. Um, it was such a gift to me to be able to listen to your dad and to hear his story and to just kind of hear how he processed his discipleship to Jesus as it relates to his commitment to being American, even like his mm-hmm. commitment to protecting this country mm-hmm. in a variety of many ways. Like, oh, thank you for sharing your dad with yeah. our audience. Um, yeah, what were your big takeaways after after planning and then having that conversation with your dad? Yeah. Well, I thank you for saying thank you. And also, I, I really feel compelled to say thank you to him because it has a courage, it's, it's courageous, yes, for him to come into a space like this. Um, most of you listening probably maybe have a similar, have had a similar upbringing so you could resonate with some of that, but you are in more of a post-evangelical, like think about politics in a more progressive way. And my dad walked into that space. So I, so way to go dad to be courageous and honest um, and to trust me and us enough to, to bring yourself to that. That's one of my big takeaways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just felt it is so I was just saying before we we hit record is very personal. I mean, it just uh, there's a level of tenderness, I feel right now, because um, of what it represents in my own work as a peacemaker. Honestly, mm-hmm. like this has been mm-hmm. this has been a decade of peacemaking work um, on a familial level to be able to come into a conversation like that and not just work off each other's triggers, um, 
to remain generous and, and curious, even when we're not necessarily like there's things I'm sure I said, and there's things he said, I don't, I don't agree with necessarily mm-hmm. or have a different vantage point for sure. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity to hear from him and someone in his generation and who is, you know, he's, he's, I can, I can attest firsthand. He's been doing some hard work <laughs> yeah. uh, that I really admire. I hope it at his age, I can be doing like my hands would be open as, as his are. So um, yeah, I feel tender and I feel grateful, I think would be how I would describe it. Oh yeah. But he mentioned that um, you were reading was a new, new way to be Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And then he read that and I even heard just how in your reaction to like, yeah, that's right. My dad did that. Like, yeah, I, that made me just, you know, you mentioned too, in the conversation, how you're grappling with the concept of being an elder. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I'm, I'm 40. I, that means technically like I'm halfway through mm-hmm. my life, which means now it's my responsibility to tend to the next generation. Yes. And so even you bringing that up and, and saying that it made and then seeing the reaction to your dad when he said, oh, well, John was reading something and it was challenging for John and it was important to his journey. And I wanted to know what he was reading. It just made me want to access that same sort of humility and curiosity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and ask myself, I mean, I, I, like as a parent, you're a parent, we're both parents. There's a part of it that I heard like, well, yeah, my kid's into this thing and mm-hmm. I'm invested in my kids. So I just want to know what my kid is, what right. the kid's doing. But then I also heard him as he continued talking saying, well, yeah, I was like actually question, asking, asking questions about my own discipleship. Like mm-hmm. I passed by my neighbors and I was curious about like why that was so easy for me and how, mm-hmm. if and how that should change. And so, yeah, yeah your your dad is, was a beautiful model of again the curiosity and humility that's necessary to do this reconcile reconciling work yep. but i did have to tell you john mm-hmm. that <laughs> the package of your dad an older white man mm-hmm. i you know saying some of the things that he was saying even with that even the, with the level of humility and tenderness that he offered was still something for me as a person of color in this moment, I, it was, I had resistance and I really had to do some just kind of interior work while listening, asking myself, like, where does that resistance come from? Um, And how do, what do I do with that resistance? I think too often, one of the reasons we kind of barrel straight into conflict with each other is we don't, we don't have the self-awareness or the skill set to stop ourselves and say, what what's going on in me <laughs> that that, yeah. that person is saying that thing or doing that thing what's going on with me how can I de-escalate mm. and I had to do some de-escalation honestly in my own self not because not because I not, yeah not because I, I dislike your dad or have like you know think that he has ill intention or anything like that it was just I'm a person of color in America and some yep. of the things that your dad was saying and the package of your dad, like the way it was presented has ha- caused harm to me and people that I've loved. And so I, I really had to like sit with that mm-hmm. and just offer it to God so I can like give that off to God for yeah. God to hold so that I can still be present in the conversation with your dad. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and how do you, as a, a woman of color in, you know, to like the narrative of, the U.S. largely through this lens of like a, the protagonist is not your experience, nor I think our actual history. I mean, your 
your ancestors didn't have a choice to immigrate here. They were forced right. to immigrate here and their experience on these lands wasn't one of uh, a, a rising star of liberty, but of oppression and slavery. Mm-hmm. And, and now we're trying to bend that arc. But, um, you know, even as we think about this, today's election day. And, yeah. uh, and we're all in these families where there's different perspectives, and, but there's also like social locations that for you, what could be a, a, a tender and uh, a conversation that leads to tenderness and gratitude, you, I, I think, are generous in, in hearing this conversation, but it brings up all sorts of different things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your word to your peers about how to navigate today and all those triggers um, mm-hmm. and the national narratives that are flying around? Mm-hmm. And how are you helping us understand maybe how you're showing up today? Um, I think it's important for someone like me mm. to hear. Yeah. Um, so because I'm a person of faith, because my faith super matters to me. Um, and, you know, like we heard with David Gushy, like, you know, my favorite theologian, Howard Thurman, like mm-hmm. so many Ruby Sells, like so many people that I admire have talked about, um, you know, we cannot do this work without spiritual formation and mm-hmm. without tending to our souls. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I always go, I always am tender with myself going into election day. And what that looks like is um, I, you know, there's this, uh, there's this thing that therapists sometimes ask you to pay attention to when you're thinking about like your capacity for being outside of your window of tolerance or like just your energy capacity, like how many spoons do you have? Mm. So like, uh, and that, and spoons represents like emotional energy, uh, you know, uh, or the capacity to, you know, problem solve. Like, like you can, you can say like a spoon, like you can say what a spoon is and then say like, how many spoons do you have? Right. So yeah. Like I look at my day, like I have a little planner and on the side of my planner is like, it says spoons. And I can say like spoons means energy for me yeah. or spoons means executive functioning because I'm, I'm on the spectrum. And, and so, mm-hmm. um, so when I go into election day to continue with the analogy, I ask myself like, what are, what's, how many spoons do I have for political engagement today yeah. outside of my vote? how many spoons do I have? And that could look like conversations about my vote, reading things about, um, about you know, the, the person I, I voted for, like, how are they doing in the polls, you know, mm-hmm. paying attention to the polls, even liking, like I voted comment or, you know, pictures online, following people and, you know, engaging with their like, I voted, you know, posts. Um, how much, how many spoons do I have? Um, mm-hmm. Some election days I've gone, I've gone in and I've said, you know, I have a lot of capacity um, to engage and I just feel energized to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, to be honest, I haven't. I've, I've used, again, my, like we've heard in this series, you know, and I love this phrase, my vote has been a prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that that's what my votes were, but going forward, I'm going to think of them as that. So I sent up my prayer and some, and I have a sense that today is going to be like a low spoon day for me to just vote. But then, but going back to the spiritual formation piece, but then I also have spiritual practices, affirmations and 
spaces that I go into on the day before the election and the day following the election. So those three days Mm. um, that really remind me of my humanity and remind me that God is bigger than the election and the election day itself. Yep. Yep. Um, And so, and we've offered some of those practices here, but you know, the centering prayer is, has always been really helpful for me. Um, But you know, one thing I am going to be thinking about John is not is paying attention to my local elections this year and listening to um, my neighbors and what my mm-hmm. neighbors need and committing the day after the election that, you know, yes, something's happened on a national level, but like locally sure. what's going on, I think that'll give me some hope too. So yeah. I hope that, that was a really long answer to your question. No, that's but. good. <laughs> that's good. Well, it's crazy to think that we're wrapping up this whole season now and yeah. Um, to have been in it with you from the beginning, hearing our own stories and how we show up in this conversation to meeting all these incredible guests. Um, and then to have my dad on today and the gift he gave us to hear perspective from his generation, how he's navigating this. And then even our glimpse into our relationship um, and to hear you process that and how you're thinking about entering the booth today. Um, I hope it's been helpful for folks. I mean, our heart and, and hope has been to to kind of de-escalate the conversation around politics and say, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the midst of this on a systemic level and on a relational level? And you've really moved us towards the personal level to how are we showing up as whole humans uh, mm. to be spiritually grounded? I think it was David Gushy who said, you know, we don't go into these conversations unless we feel spiritually prepared. Otherwise yeah. we can just like, we can just bounce off each other's triggers. And so, right. um, I know that's, that's one of my hopes is this, we're, we're going to punch that ballot with the common good of those on the margins in mind, hopefully at the forefront, reflective of our kingdom values. And we're going to be whole humans who walk into these conversations uh, that may be hard, um, but we also discern when we're spiritually ready for them. And if there needs to be yeah. a boundary that's set or time, uh, that's okay. Uh, and also we have an opportunity to move towards each other beyond the binaries, um, which I think creates the soil for us to experience God's restorative work. Um, yeah. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm Me hopeful. too. Me too. Yeah. You know, my prayer is, John, as I am just thinking about, um, you know, going forward, I my prayer is that many of us can enter into um, these conversations with the same kind of surety and confidence that you are loved and you are safe Mm. that you had in your conversation with your dad. Mm. Um, I'm sure our listeners have heard me be quite critical at various times of the invitation to have deep conversations. And I am critical of it only because we have not done a whole, a very good job at shoring up relationships and making them safe spaces Mm, to be that level of honest and vulnerable and challenging that your dad and you modeled I mean I got a sense that this was just the this was just not the surface but just a small tiny glimpse into the hard work you both have done right yeah yeah and so when I am my prayers going forward is that we aspire to have done the work in our relationships um, and built that trust so sufficiently that we can, you know, I can enter into a conversation with someone who looks like your dad Mm. 
-hmm. and know that I am loved and know that I am safe and know that we can be fully honest so that transformation can happen. So my criticism has always, has not been of the function or the invitation itself for conversation, but the context that the conversation is invited into. And what I love so much about what we just watched is that we we see that knowing you are loved and safe Um, and that that person is for you. Like I I heard that both from each of you, that you were both Mm -hmm. for each other, but the person is for you, no matter what gives you the ability to say the hard things so that you can do the peacemaking work together. Yeah. And what might it mean for us to believe it? It's true of how God thinks of us as well, you know, not just the relationships of trust and unconditional love, but we continually move towards that in ourselves. So (laughs) <laughs> uh, you, you say the last word, a couple, but a couple practicals it, it, for you all. Thank you for listening in this season. Know that the conversation is certainly not over. Um, keep an eye out for ways that we'll continue to engage with you beyond the conclusion of this podcast. Um, go to the show notes for all the links. Grab the PDF. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, we have a bunch of resources around what we call conflicted allegiance uh, that are some really good tools for going forward and also mobilizing your community. So take a look at those. Oshita, what do you got for us? Uh, Yes. May your vote today be a prayer for the kind of world that you want to live in. And may your presence be a prayer for God's reconciling peace to invade every space of brokenness. Amen. Amen.